0: <laughs> so, I don't know I'm, I'm Jane. Jane All right. Welcome, everybody. Let's make sure that you can hear us, okay? Put your pictures on,
1: everybody. Pat's requesting you guys put your pictures on if you could. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for joining us here for our Bone Health Information Night. If you're wondering why I'm holding a mic and you're not hearing my voice amputated, that's not the right word. (laughs) Um, It is because it's connected to the Zoom. So it's for the Zoom people. All right, thanks for joining us. My name is Natalie. As you might know, I work here in admin um, and I'll give you a rough overview of what tonight's gonna look like. So we're gonna start with some introductions. Just come in and take a seat. It's all good, I've only just started. Um, We're gonna start with some introductions where we'll go through our panel. And then we'll move on to some frequently asked questions that are quite common in bone health for them. And then I'll open up the floor to you guys both here and on Zoom. Um, Just come in, it's all good. All right. So I'll start with the introductions then. I'll start with Catherine Moore. So a lot of you guys might know Catherine. Um, She's been a sports physiotherapist now for 35 years. She's our principal physiotherapist and director here at Moore Health. And having opened this practice in 2003, She's now been here for 20 years. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Recently, she's subspecialised in bone health through her NERO program. And so I'll hand you off to her to give you a further introduction.
0: Yes, and I can't believe it either. 20 years been in Park Gardens and uh, I've loved every minute of it and I can't believe how time has passed so quickly. I have grown 20 years older and the population – that have supported me, thank you very much. Um, have been beside me, so it's it's wonderful. So this topic tonight, bone health. We're talking, we're we're having a questions and answer. Lots of questions about it, and I ask myself why I've got into this. There is um, a few reasons. Number one, I want to ask the audience. And now that's why I like your screens on because then I can watch you. But I put your hand up if you're over 50 years of age. <laughs> and we're looking like, woohoo, we've only got a, a couple in the front that aren't. Okay, that's a significant question. What about if you're uh, being diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis? That's me. Yep. have got a few hands there. And then the other question, have you had a fracture? Have you hurt yourself, fallen over, broken a bone? That's me. Okay. (laughs) Well, the other one, the question is, have you got a fear about your body? Maybe perhaps as the years are going on, you might uh, be fearful of falling. I mean, I read in the Sun Herald last Sunday, it was a very frightening, I thought it was quite a frightening article, 19,000 Australians every year break a hip. And you know what that means? Operation. The operation for a hip replacement or a hip uh, is very dramatic. It's much worse for the older population. So the other thing is we talk about bone decline. So that's what happens. Two thirds of the population over the age of fifty have some sort of bone decline. So that's that's us. <laughs> and not yet <laughs> so what we want to do is battle this there's a lot of science out there that says that we can change this situation now in the past we've been offered pharmaceuticals and they have side effects and who likes taking them then there's a uh, targeted exercise as well so let me tell you a little bit about got me here is that 2008 I'm a very active person everybody probably who knows me well knows that I love riding a bike playing tennis doing uh, anything adventurous outdoors anyways just playing tennis outstretched hand this was 2008 broke my wrist went ahead and had investigations I was offered a bone scan so went ahead osteopenia I was 48 years old and I had a diagnosis of osteopenia now, I, as a physiotherapist, what does that mean? I mean, I was flabbergasted, first of all, and but I was offered a pharmaceutical and I, bad secret, I was non-compliant. And I, <laughs> yes, but what I did was actually shelved the problem. What was this thing? I'm going to continue my active lifestyle. I can, you know. Um, deal with it. Denial, Denial, thank you. That was it. I I was in denial. Come 2022, and Pip, you'll remember this. It's my sister. January 9th, 9th, I had a very nasty push bike accident. I skidded on a path. I was riding my bike to, um, to Botany Bay, skidded really badly, fell onto an outstretched arm and broke my uh, bone in my humerus dislocated my shoulder broke my right wrist so that was it for me that was my wake-up call I had terrible pain and disability I had two to three months off work properly it was devastating okay so that was my wake-up call to start to look after myself and to get this denial not happening anymore take this problem off the shelf and that's brought me here today. And that's what I want to encourage you. There is a lot of really good things you can do for your bone health to stop this decline and stop that situation happening. Okay. What so is that condition? Is that Osteopenia. That condition? Okay. That's a fantastic question. It's uh, bone loss. Yeah. So you're, you're, you. Yeah, yeah. So it's a comparison to a thirty-year-old and a person your age, and you get measured via an X-ray. And maybe we might further that one.
2: Yeah, I can... is that the technical are... word for bone?
0: Thing? Yeah, osteopenia is a osteopenia is a level of bone
2: decline that's not quite osteoporosis yet. So you are lower than normal, but you are not classified as having osteoporosis so your bone mineral density that's measured by an x-ray sort of a machine that's then calculated particularly in your hip and in your spine is where they calculate it when you're osteopenic you have decline and then generally you're heading towards being osteoporotic so generally you don't have an intervention or a medical a pharmaceutical intervention until you are classified as osteoporotic but osteopenia is still a
0: risk that you will become osteoporotic and fracture does that answer that Thank you. Great. No problem. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm going to pass back to Natalie.
1: All right. As you might have already clocked on to, um, Dr. Michelle McDonald is our expert scientist, researcher and bone biologist. She's been practicing and researching now for 20 years as to how the bone is impacted by lifestyle, hormones, medication and activity. So I'll hand it off to her to introduce herself further.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. So as Natalie said, I'm a scientist. I'm a bone biology nerd, as I I like to call myself. I was a big nerd at school and I loved doing science and I did a science degree. And then I was very curious and went on to a um, research-based career where I just wanted to learn more and more and more about the body, how it works, and hopefully discover something, which recently I actually did, and I'll come back to that. So when I finished university, I went on to work in a lab at Westmead Children's Hospital, where I worked for an orthopedic surgeon. So he would have a lot of questions in the clinic that he had and couldn't answer with patients. So we had a lab that we ran where we started to try and model what was happening in the clinic to understand the biology around and discover some new bone cell biology, essentially, and understand how the body repairs when it fractures. Obviously, that's what orthopedic surgeons spend a lot of time doing is managing fractures. And so, the PhD that I did was around how our body and how our bones repair, particularly in the context of osteoporosis treatments and how those treatments can actually change the repair and actually improve or enhance the repair process. The past 10 years, I've moved towards more of an independent research career where I'm driving my own research. I've moved into cancer research and how cancer can impact your bones. But really importantly, I've been working in the space of osteoporosis for the past five to six years. Um, And I work again, I've sought a place where I do my research, where I'm working again really closely with clinicians, in this case now endocrinologists. So endocrinologists are the specialist doctors that manage patients that have osteoporosis and osteopenia. And the research that I've been doing over the past few years has been around um, understanding a particular osteoporosis therapeutic called Prilia. Some of you may be familiar with Prilia and how the um, cells in the bone respond to that treatment and how in fact they respond to treatment when you stop that treatment. And I can go into more detail about that later. So that's my research background. So why am I here tonight? Kath and I met through Pip. Pip and my uh, Pip's daughter and my daughter know each other from school. And then Pip connected that Kath was working on this Nero program that Belinda Beck runs and I know Belinda Beck really well through my research so I work a lot in the space of understanding bone biology and I've done a lot of work around understanding how your skeleton responds to load so that's how I know Belinda Beck we work we have a grant together and we're really looking at combining her understanding from her clinical programs of how people with osteoporosis are responding to these really intensely and targeted tailored treatments of loading protocols that help build bone mass. And we can also model that in the lab and try to understand exactly the biology around how that is happening and how we're gaining bone with those approaches. So I was lucky enough to come, Kathy invited me to come along to her clinic the other week. And I met a couple of some familiar faces here in the audience, the people that I met. I got to see the program in action for the first time, which was fantastic. It really, you know, it, it really touched on why I do what I do for a job. I like I'm curious, I want to learn an awful lot more. I want to discover some new things that might improve quality and lifestyle for patients, but I also want to share my knowledge. I want to help educate people in the community to understand particularly the skeleton, how important it is we look after your skeleton, how you can do that. but also to to give you a bit of a better understanding of how your skeleton behaves so that you can, People are inquisitive and curious like I am. I'm happy to share that knowledge with you. So that's why I'm here tonight is to share that, answer some questions and hopefully add to what Kath's already taught you about the importance of why you look after your skeleton. So throw all the questions you can at me around your skeleton and hopefully I can answer them for you. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, that's probably my five minutes and more. And last but not least, we have Annalise
1: Collier. So Annalise is a dietitian, nutritionist and the founder of Your Gut Health. So she's focusing on how our diet and lifestyle impacts both our gut as well as our bones.
3: Hi everybody. Um, I'm really, really stoked to be here. I, um, as a dietitian, I've had quite a bit of experience working in the hospital. So, for the past six years, I've been working at Prince of Wales Hospital, just over in Randwick. And for two of those years, I was working on the orthopedics ward. And when I was there, I saw lots and lots of lots of patients coming in with hip fractures and I guess just the impact that that had on them and their quality of life and also I guess in terms of just um, you know how long they were in hospital and I guess this was something that was really important to me as well because when I was younger before I even decided to become a dietitian I um, had an amazing pop amazing grandfather and he actually had a fall and when he had that fall he broke his hip and that was kind of like the decline for him so after that he never really uh, recuperated and seeing him in the nursing home seeing him struggling was actually a reason why he became a dietitian because I didn't had never heard of it before then and so um, yeah it's an area that I'm really passionate about and as well as that I also work in cancer survivorship so I'm a survivorship dietitian and I also work as a palliative care dietitian and I have my own business it's called Your Gut Feeling so I see a lot of people with gut issues um, mental health issues as well and I also work part-time at Double Bay Doctors and Bondi Doctors as well so um, yeah a couple of different hats at the moment trying to I guess figure out what, what kind of works. But I was lucky enough to meet Kath through a mutual friend um, about three or four months ago now. We had a consultation together and um, we just hit it off and both really passionate about bone health. Um, and so we decided to kind of put this night together and here we are. So really excited to uh, share some knowledge around the way that diet can impact on bone health. So If you have any
1: questions, fire them my way. Cool. All right, uh, everyone on Zoom, uh, could you just give me a thumbs up if you can hear us well? All right, that's looking promising. All right. All right, so we're now gonna move on to some frequently asked questions. So I'll start with you, Michelle. Um, I'll say, why is loading important to the bone? And when you're looking at these loading exercises, what exactly is that
2: doing to help the bone density? That's a great question, Natalie, incredibly important. So essentially, as you all know, our skeleton's here to hold us up, but it's not a dead organ in any way. It's not a static. It's a very dynamic organ, our skeleton. It houses a lot of our immune system, which people don't appreciate in the bone marrow. So that's where a lot of our immune immune cells live, so it's protecting those as well. Um, but most importantly for you to understand is the skeleton turns over and remodels itself. Every 10 years, essentially, you get an entire new skeleton. So it's not just sitting there. You you don't stop growing and get to the height. Unfortunately, I stopped growing really young and I didn't get very tall. But even though you were still not growing, our our skeleton is still turning over constantly. So every 10 years, essentially, you've got a new skeleton. So the cells that play a role in that, um, there's two main cells that allow, allow remodeling to take place. There's cells that eat away at bone. And they're called osteoclasts and they're like little Pac-Man. If you remember Pac-Man, the computer game, they go and they munch, munch, munch and eat your bone. And then the osteoblasts come along and they make new bone matrix. So it's turning over and modeling. And there's two main reasons why your skeleton needs to do that. One is to maintain your integrity, which basically means it makes sure you're, you don't have little bits of damage throughout your skeleton because it's loaded. It's what's bearing all of the weight as you run, walk, whatever we're doing. Um, and it it can cause damage. So it needs to renew. And the other thing is your skeleton is a source for calcium. So we can't all get our calcium from diet. It's very important. But if we don't have enough calcium, your muscles need calcium, your nerves need calcium, everything in your body needs calcium to function. So if your body needs calcium in the blood, where do you think it gets it from? Your bones. So those little Pac-Man cells come along eat away at bone, that releases calcium into your blood so that your other organs can use it. So that's the process of remodeling, eating away at bone and replacing it with new bone. So when it comes to load, as I mentioned, load can cause damage and we need to remodel it. But also your your skeleton is a very adaptive organ and it responds to the sorts of loads that you're applying to it. It can slightly change shape if it needs to, if you're applying a type of load that is... um, particularly loading a particular part of the bone, like your hip bone. But most importantly, it creates more bone in a place where you're loading more because it senses that load. So those cells, the osteoblast and osteoclast are controlled by how much load you're putting onto your bone, particularly as we age, because you're um, not growing anymore, but your bones need to adapt and it needs to respond to the loads that we're applying There's one last cell that's really important to the piece of this puzzle, and that's called the osteocyte. And this is how the bone knows it's getting loaded. The osteocyte is this cell that sits inside the bone matrix. So those osteoblasts and osteoclasts are sitting on the surface, and the osteocytes are sitting embedded in the middle of all of that hard bone tissue. There's cells all through. There's trillions of them, trillions and trillions of them. And they are all connected. They have little arms. They reach out to each other. And they're all connected throughout your bones and then connected to the cells sitting on the surface. And those connections have fluid that moves around them so that then when you compress and load your bone tissue, that matrix, the fluid moves past that cell and it feels that fluid change. And then it knows there's a load being applied. Then it tells the cells that make bone and eat away bone what to do. And that's how we respond to load. So every time you jump, or heel jump, those heel press jumps that I see in the cat. You're certainly in your heels, but right through your legs, you get a load. All of those trillions of osteocytes sitting in that bone matrix feel this little tiny little fluid of move- movement of fluid because they've got little hairs on them that they sense it with essentially. And then they send signals to the bone surface to make new bone where it's needed. So that's why load is important. And that's how your skeleton responds to load. Any questions about that? Is that. Okay. I find it fascinating. I'm a big bone nerd. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's probably a question more for, for Kath, a physio and a movement person than, than myself. Yes. Of course, yeah. So the question was if there's no fluid in your synovium and you of your knee joint, and then therefore you can't load that environment because it's too painful and there's that you could cause damage, then you would obviously take a lot of care with loading that joint so that you don't induce. So so what you're worried about is disuse around that damage. you'd have some bone loss potentially around the fact that you're not loading that that part of the bone. That's definitely a possibility because we have what we call disuse osteopenia. So if you're not using a part of your bone, those osteocytes, those cells are not getting any signal and they actually lose bone. So an astronaut goes up into space, into microgravity, they drastically lose bone everywhere. So a lack of loading absolutely does. You know, you're still walking around on that. No, you're not going to, that bone's not going to disappear, but you might have some localised disuse osteopenia if you're not loading it. But talking to a specialist like Katha, which I'm not, who could actually help you load that as safely as you could, to keep it healthy without pushing it, yeah, absolutely. So
0: I think the most important thing there is to load as best you can, because it still needs loading. There's there's a lot of work done on osteoarthritis in the knee, and it clearly shows that you've got to keep using it, use it or lose it. Yeah, yeah. and and unfortunately, it is very painful. In in some cases, and that's when we do need the surgery, I guess, in the end, when it becomes unlivable. I'm yeah. Load. load as but yeah yeah, and sometimes you're surprised because it actually isn't as bad as you might imagine. And also, X-rays, MRIs, they give a bad vision for people because they're imagining all that degeneration, they're imagining all those terrible things. So, it's almost like what we need the mentality. Like my mum, she had kidney disease. She never even thought twice about it, you know, and she, she had, you know, it wasn't a problem for her. For some reason, she didn't analyze it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All
1: right. Um, next up, I'll ask you, Kath, um, As you have stated, you have osteopenia yourself. Have you seen any improvement in your bone health or in your lifestyle by doing some of these loading activities that's
0: designed for bone? So, I got the license to give this program in about November last year. I really kick started it in about December. So, I opted to start it myself and apply. Now, the ideal situation to get big changes by the research is to a place of twice a week and um to gradually load up and what i i i've found over the last i actually can't believe what's happened to my body i'm stronger than ever i talked about my dislocated shoulder it was a devastating industry it is full range of movement i play the i'm left-handed i play the best tennis i've ever played I mean, that's mad. Yeah. I swim 20 laps now and I swim and it's so strong. And in the past I've always swum 20 laps, but it, it was never the feeling that good. So they're just these personal changes. But really, you know, I, I'm i I'm waiting for my bone density results, which I'm going to have in a month, and um, we I'm going to compare it to last year. So that will be my baseline of where I'm at, really. Um, so, you know, if we get some changes in those numbers, that will clearly show everything. Now, I, I this will probably lead into, we'll chat to Annalise. I, I have had ongoing gut issues. Now, you don't really want to know about it, the IBS stuff, okay? <laughs> but anyway, years and years and years of that, I'm sure that does not help my bone health. Okay, so what happens is your calcium gets zapped, I'm sure, from your bones because it, it, you need those. So I've been challenged with that and I'm much better with my gut than I have ever been and maybe for lots of reasons. So let's say it's a bit of a a big story that you've got to work with to, to change. So with my osteopenia, I've seen a big difference in my strength and, um, you know, just... Everyday life, we'll see the end result next month. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. So, as been mentioning here, leading a bit into your questions, diet's pretty important. Um, Most of the commonly known element that helps you when it comes to osteoporosis and bone health is calcium. Now, for women over the age of fifty, they recommend about thirteen hundred milligrams of calcium a day. Um, that seems like an awful lot to try to intake. So how exactly do you try to fit this in your diet, especially if you're vegan or lactose intolerant or just in general?
3: That's a great question. Yeah. Um... And I guess I'll preface it by saying that,
1: yes, um, you know, when we think of
3: calcium, so often we do think of dairy. So we will think, you know, cheese, yogurt and milk, but they they aren't the only source of calcium. Yes, they are wonderful sources, but they are definitely not the only sources. So when we are thinking about dietary sources of calcium, there are, you know, a couple of key players that kind of stand out. So if we think about fortified foods, so has anyone heard that term before, fortified Yep. Yep. Um, So essentially it's when the food doesn't naturally have a nutrient in it, but the manufacturer can add it in. So um, an example would be with plant-based milk. So almond milk or oat milk or soy milk, naturally they don't have calcium, maybe a little bit in soy, but negligible. And so you can actually add the calcium in. So that's one example. Um, If we were thinking about cereal or bread, um, there are other kinds of examples of fortified foods. Um, and then other sources of calcium will be things like uh, nuts and seeds. So specifically, more your almonds, chia seeds, uh, sesame seeds. So like tahini, that's pretty trendy at the moment, like tahini dressings. Um, and then we think of like seafood. So specifically, more that canned fish. So you yeah, um, get canned salmon or canned sardines, and the calcium is really in the bones, so if you are opting for the, the canned salmon or sardines, don't pick the bones out. Like eat those as well, crunch on them. They're not that bad. Yeah. Amazing. I have seen that one as well. Yeah, yeah. So also fortified tuna, yep. <laughs> um, and then some other things are like your green leafy vegetables, so specifically more like your broccoli, collard greens and um, spinach, And then some other kind of random calcium foods are like a calcium set tofu. So um, that's a good option or also chickpeas. um, And then, you know, chicken, eggs, I guess. So if you are a vegan, kind of thinking about those more plant-based alternatives, but it definitely is still possible. Like I was thinking about, This earlier today, and I thought, you know, if you were making something like a big salad and you added in, you know, some green leafy vegetables, maybe sprinkled in some almonds or some chia seeds, and you added, um, you know, a serve of the tin salmon and had a tahini dressing, that's like obviously going a bit overboard, but you'd be probably hitting close to your, you know, near your recommended daily amounts. So would be I think it'd be about half of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in a can of the um tin salmon, I think it's three or four hundred milligrams. So they're pretty high. Um, but obviously we don't always eat those foods. So it's more about being conscious um of which foods do contain calcium and just trying to regularly incorporate those into your diet. I think it's a great source of calcium, great source of protein, great source of probiotics. I think it's an amazing food. If you're going for like a non-dairy yogurt, so a a, a, a coconut or a soy yogurt, just looking for ones that are fortified. So typically soy is, but coconut, not so much. Um, And if you have a lactose intolerance, I would probably go for either a soy or the lactose-free yogurt, whereas something like coconut yogurt is... um, it tastes really good um but often it hasn't got as much of like the other beneficial compounds like the protein and the um the calcium yes oh. exactly yeah i think that might be a question in a second but i can answer it now um so yeah you're onto it yeah there's definitely other key nutrients so besides calcium other nutrients that really support bone health are things like vitamin d And the reason that vitamin D is so important is because um, it actually helps us with absorption. So if we have low vitamin D levels, which one in four Australians do, um, it actually increases your risk of developing your osteopenia or osteoporosis because your body is not able to absorb the calcium from your small intestine. So there is that factor Um, in terms of vitamin D. I'm sure everybody in the room knows that Um, 90% of our vitamin D comes from our skin exposure to the sun. There is a little bit in food, um, specifically more like oily fish and dairy, but predominantly we want to get it from sun exposure. Um, And then other nutrients that we want to keep an eye out for are things like vitamin K. So vitamin K actually helps with the bone mineralization and that's mainly found in like your green leafy vegetables and whole grain breads and cereals. So thinking like a multigrain bread or... Um, like a wholemeal pasta, quinoa, quinoa, however you say it. Um, and then the last nutrient that is also like, uh, actually two more that are also pretty key players are is protein. So protein um, is important for, you know, the bone health, but also for our muscle health and our muscles really help to stabilize. And you guys probably talk a lot more about this, stabilize um, your bones. And so when we're thinking about sources of dietary protein, um, you know, the ones that often come to mind for people are things like your your meat, whether it's you know red meat or chicken, fish, um, you know eggs, cheese, yogurt, milk, and then our plant-based sources of protein are things like you know your lentils, legumes, tofu, edamame, um soy milk, um and then you can get some like protein powders. And there's lots of other kind of options out there now as well, which is pretty awesome. But, um, yeah, they're kind of the other key nutrients. You want to keep in mind besides just calcium? Yeah, I was. I knew I was about to say magnesium. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you're spot on. So magnesium is that that final one. Yeah. Again, it's a really good question. So magnesium is found in like lots of nuts and seeds, um, and then your dark green leafy vegetables, and also your whole grain breads and cereals. So the awesome thing is that a lot of these foods. Um, you know those whole foods they contain so many different micronutrients and macronutrients like your protein and carbohydrate and healthy fats as well yeah yeah it's a really good question as well um of course sorry so the question was um is there any point in taking supplements like and the answer is simply definitely yes um but to put it into context if the question was you know is there um is one more beneficial than the other is it you know better to get calcium from diet versus supplements the answer to that is preferably through diet first so the reason for that is because um, studies have shown that we actually absorb the uh, calcium from our diet better than supplements and the thought behind that is because you're absorbing it with food so it's like you know when it's in your small intestine it's being absorbed with other nutrients um, and also the fact that you're like bolusing the, the calcium across the day. So you're getting um, more opportunity to absorb it at different times across the day, as opposed to with a supplement when it's all at once um, in saying that, you know, in a lot of cases, some people aren't able to absorb calcium. Say for example, they might have like celiac disease and the the villi inside their intestines are flattened or other kinds of conditions um, or, you know, you might have a diagnosis of osteopenia, or osteoporosis, and you just want to safeguard or your health professionals recommended it, then definitely taking a supplement is a really good option um, and preferably taking it with food. Um, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. I'm sorry, the question was, are there any commonly um prescribed medications that can affect vitamin D levels? Off the top, so off the top of my I was gonna say off the top of my head, I know it's like more medications related to yeah, anti epileptics or potentially some related to mood. I think that can potentially, but again, I don't know that confidently. But do either of you guys know?
2: Sorry. I don't know for vitamin D, to be honest. Um, I do know there are a number of medications that are not great for your bone health, though, and that can actually, unfortunately, impact and mood um, antidepressants can have an effect on um, skeletal health, unfortunately. The SSRIs, they can reduce bone density, not dramatically, but can added to underlying other complications and other treatments. Um Corticosteroids that are used for cancer treatment. A lot of cancer treatments are detrimental to a lot of uh, any any immune autoimmune diseases that are treated with, a, with a, an oral steroid is really quite detrimental. So prednisone can be detrimental to to the skeleton as well. I don't know off the top of my head anything to do with specific reducing your ability to absorb vitamin D, but you can also get good vitamin D supplements as well. Correct, yeah, and often you can get a calcium and vitamin D combined, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: The way, you know, the they the, no. I haven't been outside I work out?
3: So, yeah. So, yeah. Ninety percent of your vitamin D um, comes from the sun. So, you're, that's I guess like when your skin is exposed to the sun, that's how your body actually synthesizes the vitamin D, and only about ten percent comes from diet, unless you're taking a vitamin D supplement. Um, in terms of dietary sources of vitamin D like like I mentioned there was you know oily fish um, some dairy often dairy can be fortified as well so they add the vitamin D in particularly like margarines um, but yeah pr- ideally you'd kind of get it from that sun exposure and there was actually an episode on Hack or like on ABC radio yesterday about this topic because there's a bit of an epidemic at the moment in Australia with the fact that a lot of people have vitamin D deficiencies and then That's another whole conversation because that can, you know, have
2: other effects within the body. Yeah. Adding to that, there are a number of studies out of places in Scandinavia where they have really short days over the winter and they're not seeing much sun at all. And there's huge impacts on vitamin D um, deficiencies and skeletal health. There's a lot of... um, and there are a couple of diseases actually where vitamin D is not produced, vitamin D related diseases where they have really poor bone health. So it's really important to get in it, but it's not a lot of sun exposure. 20 minutes a day is what I hear is adequate. So if you can get out for 20 minutes a day um, without covering yourself up, like we'd like to protect ourselves because we don't want to get sun damage. So it's hard. But if you can confidently, maybe not in the peak of the day, but in the morning or the afternoon, go out in the sun and get that sun exposure because, as um, Annalise said, it's that conversion to the type of vitamin D that your body can use for calcium absorption that the sun exposure is capable of and that's not achieved equivalently from dietary intake through. Oh, sorry. Yep.
3: <laughs> Just one
2: other thing on that
3: is that... Um, with that sun exposure you need to actually not be wearing sunscreen and yeah. yeah there is a special sunscreen that they've just brought out into the market that allows you to get sun exposure and it
1: blocks the uv rays but i don't know what it's called <laughs>
3: uh, sorry sorry
1: all <laughs> right we've done a good job asking a lot of the questions here um, so i'll move on to you michelle and i'll ask you in regards to medication for bone. Um, do you recommend that when it comes to your bone health and what is the sort of differences um, in regards to what weight loading will do versus medication versus a combo of both of them?
2: That's a great question and really important. This comes back to those cells that I was describing earlier, which is why I've kind of gone into that detail, is how we treat um, with therapeutics. I'm very pro-therapeutics for osteoporosis, but I'm also very pro-exercise. I think the two of them combined is the best thing you can do but only if you're comfortable with taking medication and um, obviously in the case when you are really osteoporotic and at high risk of fracture. So the treatments that we have, the the main treatments that are available for patients currently in Australia are what we call anti-resorptive treatments and those drugs target those Pac-Man cells. So they either block them from working so they can no longer eat bone or they actually get rid of those cells completely. So Prolia gets rid of them, they're gone. There's none of them in your body anymore bisphosphonates, such as Fosamax, just stop them working. And those drugs have been used really successfully for osteoporosis for a very long time. I think bisphosphonates have been in the clinic for over 30 years. Pralea has been about 10 years now. And they do a really good job because they stop that resorption, stop those eating away Pac-Man cells. You are then able to, with your body's ability to still build new bone, will gain some bone density over time. But the most important thing is it will stop the loss. So you're going to definitely stop the loss of bone and you may gain some bone over time. If you combine those treatments with exercise, the exercise is going to load your bones. So those loaded targeting exercises, like the program that Kath's establishing here from Belinda's program, you are (laughs) stimulating those cells with the arms inside your bone to tell the cells that make more bone to make more bone. So you will add to the fact that you're stopping the bone loss with that anti-resorptive treatment and you're able then to increase how much bone you're getting more than if you weren't exercising. So they go hand in hand, those two treatments, by getting when, – when we have osteoporosis, we basically lose the balance between how much bone you're eating away and how much you're forming, and it kind of corrects that balance. And if you do both, it corrects it even more so. Does that – yeah? I've got a
0: question. So there's those two different drugs you were talking about. Yeah. Um. So it gets confusing as yeah. the – patient, which one do we choose? I have a very um, strong
2: opinion on that because my research is focused on Prolia at the moment. The reason we are focused on that Prolurea is there's a very important question clinicians have is that when patients stop their Prolia, they dramatically lose bone and they are at, at, at as, as high risk of fracturing as they were before. So they go back to baseline very quickly. So we're modelling that and we're learning and in the process of understanding that we've actually discovered a new bone cell and it's been really exciting on the, the side of being, being a bio, bone biology node, but really importantly we're informing clinicians about why that's happening and how to manage patients. T- Historically, a bisphosphonate that's been used for a very long time in the clinic Um Clinicians will put patients on what we call a drug holiday because there are, unfortunately, side effects. Every drug has a side effect. There's no magic bullet, unfortunately, where there's a drug that works perfectly without any side effect. So there are side effects from these drugs, particularly for the Fosamax, those bisphosphonates that stop them working over long periods of time so they go on a drug holiday and have a rest. That's what they started doing with the prelia as well. Okay, it's been 10 years. You've got st- stable bone mineral density, Let's give you a drug holiday. And that's how they discovered that with the prolia stopping, patients were losing bone really quickly. And oh, we need to stop. We need to put you back on. We need to put you on a bisphosphonate instead. That didn't happen with the bisphosphonate. So you have the bisphosphonates, Posimax, a cluster. A cluster is an infusion rather than a tablet because the tablets can upset people's stomach. So it's an infusion once a year, a cluster. That's what I would. If I was told I was osteoporotic, that's what I would go for. It's been around for decades. And if you stop, you will not fall off the cliff with your bone density. With Prolia, people like it because your GP can give it to you. It's twice a year, a quick subcutaneous injection, and it works really well. They both work beautifully at protecting your bone. But if you miss that six-monthly dose, you're at really high risk of losing bone and fracturing again. Oh. Look, I, oh, sorry, yes, the question is that if you had, so you're asking the question if you had a strength program like you're doing with cath, if you stopped your prelia, that that strength program might prevent that bone loss. Is that your question? Reduce it. That is, that is a possibility. There's no data yet to prove that that's the case. It's something that Belinda Beck certainly feels could be the case. The issue I see with that is that, What's happening when prolea is stopped is just a lot of bone resorption. And yes, the ex- and it's quite quick. The exercise could reduce and 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 some level of protection, but I'm not sure yet that we are convinced that it would stop that from happening. But it could certainly help. If you were on prolea and you stopped, you'd be better off considering being put onto another medication. Personally, because we don't know yet that exercise will do it, but it will absolutely help and slow it down and I would not say to stop, but you've got to bear in mind that you do have an increased risk again of fracture because your bone density will drop off again. So I'm not a clinician and you need to bear that in mind as I make these suggestions. You need to take this information to your clinician and your practice your physician and have the discussion with them. They're the experts in the, in the management of osteoporosis. I'm a biologist that understands and that that scenario in particular. So they're those two options. There is one new option that's coming. Are you happy for me to talk? We've got time for you to talk about that. So there's a new drug that's on the market called Avenity. Avenity is the first good drug we've got that actually makes new bone. So it stimulates those osteoblasts not the Pac-Man cells, the other ones that make bone, it stimulates them to make more bone. And that's really what we want to do in osteoporosis if we can, particularly if a patient can't take those anti which some patients have renal insufficiency, their kidneys don't work properly, and if that's the case, they actually can't take a bisphosphonate, they can take Prolia, but then there's that issue with Prolia. And there's a lot of GPs that this has only come about recently and that we're still educating people that this is a risk if they stop that treatment. So Avenity is available in Australia, but it's only PBS listed in patients that do not respond to the other treatments because the government don't want to support it yet. Part of the reason for that is it doesn't work for a long time. It has a window that it works in and it does a really good job. And then for some reason, which I won't go into, but the body stops listening to it, unfortunately. So it does a good job for a year. And then after that, you're going to probably have to go into another medication anyway. So we still don't have the perfect treatment for osteoporosis. However, exercise is something you can all do, and these loaded programs are things you can do in addition to any medication. But more importantly, I see what this program does is prevents you becoming osteoporotic in the first place. And if you can get active, load your bones, look after your skeleton as you're aging and prevent the decline in the first place, you won't fall in fracture and you won't need these medications and you're not relying on medications that none of them are perfect. They have side effects. They can't be taken forever. They don't work forever. They're good and I'm not saying don't take them if you have to. If you're on them, they're great. But like any, any medication, there are these side effects. So the Avenity may become more available and you could talk to your GPs or your endocrinologist if you have about a vanity as well. So that's E V E N I T Y. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. That's that's the big difference. So if you if you're on prelia or bisphosphonate and you still fracture, then the government will pay for you to have a vanity. So if you that that's what I meant by a non responder to the other treatments is you're not you're still considered osteoporotic and fracturing we haven't helped you so clearly you need this other agent because it's so expensive yeah and it's a injection every 3 months or monthly I can't remember exactly sorry but it's it is monthly thank you yeah. <laughs> okay so some very informed people in this audience is wonderful you're teaching me as well great okay Excellent.
1: All right. Well, a lot of people here might already know, but we've alluded to it a lot in this conversation. So I'm going to ask Kath, when you speak about this program you're doing here in Nero, what exactly does that involve and how does that help your bone density and your bone health?
0: So the program is, uh, uh, like I said, applied ideally twice a week and it's 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 a real paradigm shift for people my age and women particularly where you're actually lifting weights now have you watched the olympic weightlifting <laughs> and you watch these characters lift up heavy weights and then they take them up and hold them and um you know they win a gold medal well we are replicating some of those movements With high weight. Now, when you start this program, we start at a baseline. We decide what your level of lifting might be. And then we gradually increase. Now, there's a few people in the audience that have been gradually increasing. I sneak up on them and how are you feeling? I look at their face, their expression, and we work out what we call 85% max. Okay. So 100% max is you cannot, you can lift it, but you, you have to give up because it's just too much we need to go one step down and we go to about 85% so we need to push you now the big there's a lot of fears around this because we're fearful that we'll injure ourselves we're fearful because we've had an injury in the past however the the bottom line is that if you want to improve your bone modeling all the things that um michelle has described we need to push the body you know what i've found it i've been like i said a physiotherapist for so long and oftentimes i've backed off because people have pain they have injuries i don't want to hurt them however we're getting through that and i know that you're not going to hurt yourself because we're going to do it properly so it involves three weightlifting exercises one we call a deadlift One we call a squat and one we call a overarm lift, three weight lifting. Now there's two other exercises in the program. One they call a heel drop and it's like bashing the bone. (laughs) You've got to feel a vibration through your body. Now you do that to a moderate level. So you're not going to hurt yourself. I'm going to observe that as well. It's a jump as well. You really, um, well, um, it can be described. I like the alliteration: "bashing the bone" or "thumping," and you feel a vibration. Now, we're we're um, brought up with lovely cushioned shoes, and let's run, and we'll we'll make sure we don't jar too hard. Well, we're doing the opposite, <laughs> and that's what the number four exercise. Number five is balance. And the balance is practice. It's a brain exercise. It's hard work when we really work at it. We need to train our brain um, and our body to balance yeah. so that we can avoid falling and breaking a bone. Um it, it it this is this is all really beautifully scientifically researched. So the program is very simple and um uh, you, Those that are doing it at the moment, we're doing five repetitions at a go, have a rest, and then we're repeating that five times. So is that – any questions there?
2: You mentioned that you're a swimmer. How does swimming relate to load-bearing, given that swimming is uh, exactly the opposite?
0: Okay. Swimming does zero to the bones. Okay. I love my swimming because it helps me mentally. I feel like I've taken an antidepressant after I get out of the pool. So I love water. So I'm not going to give up the swimming. I do my weights twice a week. Done. I'll swim maybe twice a week. And that is beautiful for me. And there's other things that happen. My heart beats fast. I breathe. You know, I'm getting cardiovascular effects but uh, my bones, my skeletal bones. And maybe, Michelle, you might want to say something about that.
2: You're absolutely right. Swimming, there's zero loading, but swimming is a fantastic sport for those that have joint injuries and don't want to load sore joints. I think people swimming is a fantastic exercise to get that mobility, movement and fluidity in your body and that just that the level of stretch and mobility to stretch those muscles out and stretch those joints and give that space between joints. It's an incredible exercise for that. It all goes hand in hand. It gives you over full body um, impact. So if you just did the weight bearing, the weight loading exercise, I don't think that's enough. Personally, I do weights at the gym, but I also will walk uphill on the treadmill. I'm trying to start to run again on the treadmill. I'm trying to be brave after having bad hip from running. Um, I do lots of multiplex. I'm not a swimmer. I can't swim to save myself. I've never been a good swimmer, but I do other things, but I do do that. Weight loading, exercising. I've even got my fourteen-year-old in the gym doing weights with me now. She's like, "Really, Mama? Yes, this is fantastic for you." She's finished growing pretty much, and I wanted to have the best bone density, peak bone density she can have. So when she starts to come down, she's got a lot further to go than than I would, and it's great exercise. So combining all of it, I think, like Kats just said, is is key. I don't know if anyone else wants to. Could I just mention that my yeah?
0: specialist? <laughs> So yeah.
2: um, my,
1: my specialist actually said that the absolute best exercise for asthma is swimming because it is expanding your lungs. That's why you see all the Olympic swimmers saying they used to be asthmatic. So it, it is very helpful, um, you know, with all the
0: other things. Yeah. Has there been research done as to how long it takes for the oniro exercises, like to increase the bone density? How long? Okay, there is a um, a paper which I actually printed out and I can send to you all, um, which this is all based on. And it was eight months and there was changes. Now, there was uh, bone density changes to the uh, – we've got some brochures there with some of the uh, changes. 3% in the lumbar spine. So- that is, because made, made, normally it would go down, but we're increasing that 3%. Yeah, and it's, it's equivalent to some of the treatments, maybe. the
2: pharmaceutical treatments that you can have, that the changes that they're seeing. So a, a 3% increase in bone density over an eight-month period is a lot. Sounds small, but it, it is a lot. It's a... The reading is a, a density, an aerial density, and it's a 3% change is, is an awful lot, and it really helps what we call your Z score, which determines if you're in that range of having poor bone health or not. So it sounds small, but it's a lot.
0: 1.8% increase in femurs in hips. Yeah. Uh, did, so it, it, there's other increases as well. Your spine, your muscle in your back improved dramatically. Now that's a muscle, not a bone, but really they're the two, two bones that were measured, okay, after eight months of doing the program, which is quite remarkable, yeah.
2: Can I have one, one more nerdy biology thing? But it's really important is people don't realise your muscles pull on your bones. So there's that compress compressive stress we talked about where you're squashing and compressing your bones, but also tensile pulling and stretching of the muscles and that there's there's compression and tensile sort of stresses on bone and those... Cells inside bone respond to both. So the compressive loading, heavy loading is important, but also your muscles pulling on your bones can also help stimulate these sorts of responses as well. But the compressive is more important, but they respond to all of these sorts of pulling and um, s- stretching from the muscles is certainly. So having strong pulling with muscles because your muscles are working really hard are
0: also helping with this. Can you set a is there anything that can be done for scoliosis, which I have fully functioning, but so would would you like me to answer that one? Yeah. yeah. For it so, so the best, all the research for people who haven't had surgical intervention is exercise, strong muscles. So, um.
2: To keep, sorry, to keep your to keep your muscles and tendons strong around the abnormal curvature to support you in normal daily activities is really important. Otherwise, surgery is
0: all you have, and uh, it's like a curvature to the spine. And oftentimes, people are develop it as a adolescent, uh or even yeah, as a child. And the the other thing is, I mean. Yeah, you, you've got to be monitored. That's why a physiotherapist looking after you with your exercise as well because you can hurt yourself with with the angles that are happening. But um, you're doing well, Tess. <laughs> so that, she just said it's got better. So that's great. So we've got five minutes. Have we got yeah, so we have um
1: five minutes left, so I'm just gonna make sure anyone on the Zoom, if you have a question, raise your hand or unmute yourself just to make sure we are looking out for you guys as well. Yeah, anyone? That's a sign of a good panel, normally, not a question. Yeah, okay. That seems promising. It, I'll give you time just to write into the chat, raise your hand either in person or with the emote on Zoom if you've got anything. All right, there you go.
0: So uh, tell us about when you do the classes here and how they work. Do you do them on certain mornings or afternoons or how? how, how would we get involved? so the so i'm gonna sign up now so story is that it's really important for myself or the person that's licensed to do a one-on-one to hear the 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 history of the person and then to work out a baseline of how much they can work Oftentimes it takes two to three sessions. Then it's time to go into a class. The classes are, will be maximum five people, and there's one on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's, do you want me to tell you the times as well? They're all mornings. They're all mornings, yeah. Uh, um, I Set aside an hour, but y- usually wrapping up at 45, but there's plenty to do. I like people to stay. And to to as much balance as possible and anything that um you know to add to the routine. Just in terms of balance, how much, how often, what type of balance to do? What's the best things? I love that question, Nita, Because balance is every day. It's like Today in the class this morning, you were there, Geraldine. We we did a um a ball throwing activity, and I took everybody's mind off the fact that they had to stabilize and you know throw this ball. And um, we went clockwise, anticlockwise. I mean, little things like that. If you're going out and playing with the grandkids, I mean, you just sidestep, do little things that um uh that require you to stabilize yourself. Every day, how often? But let's make it interesting. Dancing, Tai Chi, all those activities that you can join in with people. Um, Actually, Jan said this wonderful thing this morning. We talked about the collective, what do you call it? Being collective endeavour. So that's a group of people getting together, doing something together and feeding off each other. That's how you'll keep your interest up as well.
2: There was a question. Oh, yeah, here you go. Oh, sorry. Just a quick
0: question
1: for you, Michelle. Um, Probably, Um, thanks, Kath, for explaining the anero and, you know, the five exercises, five reps and all the rest of it. It's great. I just have a question in regards to um, body exercises, um, using your body weight in terms of prevention for osteoporosis and
2: osteopenia. that is you can't increase that I guess unless you're increasing the and and you know Kath is more of an expert here but I've done a lot of myself body weight exercise with a trainer for for many years because I had a really bad back injury and I found a physio and a train with her one-on-one and a lot of it was body weight based and I got really strong around that um so it definitely will still increase your coordination your balance your muscle strength your muscle tone and but whether that's enough to actually continually, because you want to incrementally increase, to continue pushing your skeleton to a new level, to continue that gain, because if you if you stop and plateau, you're not gonna continue those gains. So I'm not talking you're gonna be at the Olympics. I mean, Kath might get you there weightlifting at the Olympics, who knows? You're not going to end up with 200 kilos either side, but continually a couple of kilos and pushing yourself at that 85% like Kath does. It's fantastic. And I've watched it take place in the clinic. I got to watch a whole session. It was lovely that the the clients let me do that. And it's a really beautifully tailored, personalized approach. What I can see is Kath's got everybody doing it at their level. And that's a really important thing for these sort of interventions because you want to be sure you're safe. You're not going to hurt yourself, but that you're building your confidence in your body to do these exercises, but you know that you're in good hands as a person, not as a group of people at the gym being, having a gym exercise or yelling at you and loud music going, you've actually got that really nice environment to to do that training in. I,
0: I, know, I just want to be respectful of everybody's time, but I do have to say this. I've listened and researched and you can, you can uh, listen to Billinda Beck on podcasts, and I can refer you to that, but she's very funny. She goes, Pilates, swimming, biking does nothing for the bones. I mean, it's pretty black and white, but, I, I mean, I'm not quite in agreeing with that, but what she she's obviously promoting her program, but I think that you really summed it up, Michelle, it's about upgrading, okay? Can you just tell me what the about the differences
2: Oh, like about exercise, like well. yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, lunges, and I've done a lot with like a TRX type device where you're hanging your body weight and pulling your own body weight up in a with an arm and upper body exercise and so forth. They call it calisthenics, I think. Yeah, calist push, push ups, yeah, 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 and it, it really gets your core engaged. So great exercises that you can also do at home if you're confident and you know you're doing them appropriately as well.
0: One more thing, I I had a wonderful interaction with my endocrinologist last week Dr Jackie Centers some some of you know her now she she we had a conversation about this she's very supportive of this weightlifting program and she said to me I said how can I help you she said number one I it gives me it makes me a little bit um sad she said there is no research funding she said the funding is diminishing for osteoporosis osteopenia because it's not that attractive. Um, there's many other things that money is going to. Research grants, there's only one in t- 10%. Sorry, 7%. Sorry, you know more about this. Anyway, uh, I uh, I want to plug this. On the 3rd, 2nd of November, we're going to do another night here. We've got Ita Batre. She's going to come along and she's going to introduce Jackie Center. And Jackie's going to talk about her research. So let's ask you all along to that I'd love to have an audience for that okay I'm going to say good night thank you so much any questions we're going to send you an email so you can write back any more questions um thank you all on Zoom it's a wonderful uh technology and thank you everybody in the audience thank you So good. Yeah. That was thank you. Fun. It was great. Thanks. Um, the they can't hear you if you're saying you're Okay. Hearing oh, hearing you, hearing right. you can't hear me, right? <laughs> now you can hear me. Thank you so much. I've got, I haven't got my glasses on. <laughs> oh, I'll just say thank
1: you all so much for joining. Um, hopefully we'll see you in November. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nola. It was great. Thank you. All right. And <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm gonna end the meeting now. Thank you all so much for coming. Um and yeah. See you maybe later in the clinic. That's all right. Perfect.